Backchat. 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 Politics and current affairs. Backchat. Backchat. Your alternative to talk back. It's Saturday, December 5th, and you're listening to Backchat, where we break down the news you don't want to miss. Before we begin today, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Gadigal land and pay our respects to elders past, present and future. I'm Millie Roberts, stepping in for Shami today. And I'm Chantelle Alkuri. And today you better buckle up because boy do we have a show for you. First up, we have poet and historian Robin Eames joining us for this week's International Day of People with a Disability. After that, Backchat producers Rebecca Manny-Bog and Vanessa Lim chat about the world's obsession with Baby Yoda. And as always, we want to hear from you. Are you sick of seeing Baby Yoda around or are you still a huge stan? Let us know by texting in on 0409 945 945 or tweet us at FBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. This week, a report by the Disability Royal Commission came out looking at the treatment of 4 million Aussies living with a disability during the pandemic. And it was released just in time for International Day of People with Disability, which celebrates and raises awareness about disability in Australia. Joining us to discuss their experiences being a young person living with a disability is poet and historian Robin Eames. Robin, thanks for joining us. Hi. So what does International Day of People with Disabilities mean to you? So the International Day was established in 1981 um, when there was a big push by disability activists um, to get a lot of changes coming through, which came through in legislation. Um, that's when, a few years later, a lot of the disability um, discrimination acts were passed in Australia. That was 1992. Um, the, the day for me, and I think for a lot of people in the disabled community, kind of in some ways feels like a token effort um it it awareness really isn't the end point for a lot of us we want action and change in a meaningful way and what do you feel is the mainstream perception of disability so people kind of see it as something that's inherently very medicalized it's very tragic and about this sort of individualized experience of suffering or an individual crisis that needs to be overcome I think it's really useful to reframe it and think about what are the things that need to change on a social level rather than in terms of individuals and where is society failing to support all of the members of that society. And um, and Robin, a report by the Disability Royal Commission came out this week saying people living with disabilities were forgotten during the pandemic. How did the government's response affect you personally? So I was pretty lucky because I already had um, NDIS funding for support workers to do things like pick up my groceries, pick up medication, help me get to appointments. Um, But a lot of people have real trouble accessing the NDIS. Not every disabled person is on the NDIS. There have been huge problems with accessing the scheme because it's so bureaucratic and the measures they use to determine who is eligible are quite flawed. Um, And as well, the issue with PPEs, stuff like masks, um, the government in sort of early days was providing these in aged care institutions, but not in context of disability support, where 
obviously there's also a lot of vulnerable people in settings where they can't avoid avoid close contact. Um, so initially, my support worker was just kind of left quite bereft in terms of where she was supposed to source PPE. Um, then the platform kind of made changes, and now that's coming out of my end of funding rather than something provided on a structural level. Um, and a lot of people um, not only kind of uh, were left in settings where they were sort of forced to risk their health, um, but just didn't know what was going on, didn't know where to figure out how to get the supports that they needed, um, and a lot of local mutual aid programs were springing up to meet that need, which I think was really important and useful and hopeful, um, and I think it's fantastic when the community can kind of come together to provide the supports that aren't being provided on a structural level by the state. And how do you think the government could be better supporting young people living with disabilities? So the the NDIS um, is, I think, really, really flawed kind of from its foundations. It's a very... The model is based on consumer choices, with the idea being that better disability supports will emerge if they're privatised, if there's market competition dictating, like companies having to compete to provide better services but what ends up happening is actually that the the profit motive takes over and rather than becoming about support delivery it becomes about making money off the back of disabled people um there really just need to be better structural supports all across the board um in so many ways there's a lot of changes that need to be made and there are people try to make those changes. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio. We're speaking to poet and historian Robin Eames for International Day of People with Disability that was earlier this week. So Robin, as someone who uses a wheelchair, how do you feel accessibility could be improved for day-to-day life? Uh, Literally everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just on a really basic level, um, we've only really recently had building codes that mandate accessible structures. So a lot of older buildings are just completely inaccessible in my day-to-day. Like, it's quite difficult because, like, just going up the street, like, the the shops, like, friends' houses, um, and even just the pavements. And some of that is um, sort of controlled on a a state level, like, transport is state level, and... Um, nearly half of Sydney's trolls network is inaccessible, but that is changing. Um, some of it's controlled on a, on a council level, stuff like pavements, which does make a big difference because um, otherwise you have to go in the road, which is quite dangerous, both for wheelchair users and other disabled people and for um, for, for drivers. And what um, is... Oh, sorry. Continue. No, carry on. Uh, I was just going to ask, what are some of the challenges of finding work as a person living with disability, just going off from what you've said? So um, often the issue is still about access. If you can't get into the building, obviously you can't find employment in the building. Also, there's, I think, just a really widespread perception that disabled people and workers are separable groups, which just isn't true. 
Um, there's also a huge structural issue with what's called Australian Disability Enterprises, formerly known as sheltered workshops, where disabled people, usually people with intellectual disabilities, are paid less than $3 an hour or less than $89 a week for a full-time week for manual labour, usually in factory settings, with the idea being that it would be difficult for them to find work otherwise, so the work itself is meant to be valorising so they can contribute back to the community. But really what it means is that big companies like Qantas are profiting off the back of exploitation of disabled people. And for you, Robin, what's the most empowering thing about disability culture? I think it's been um, making contact with this really beautiful, huge and radical community um, of people fighting for change and rather than it just being this sort of individual experience of like misery and suffering it becomes about love and pride in community on a community level and in survival and as someone who is genderqueer what has it been like navigating your gender identity as someone who is disabled So there's a lot of resonance between trans community and disabled community. We both have histories of pathologization, of institutionalization, of criminalization. Um, On a personal level, I think it's quite interesting that um, since I started using a wheelchair, it's almost been easier for people to not misgender me, but it's because they don't see me as gendered to begin with because... They're like um, kind of degendering me because being disabled somehow makes me lack those elements of, of like individuality and personality. Um, but yeah, I think I'm always more concerned with the, the dehumanization um, than anything else. So, Robin, we actually just got a text in from Adele and Mount Druitt saying, understanding and learning about how to communicate and navigate their disability is a way to show some love to people with disabilities. Robin, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks. That was poet and historian Robin Eames talking about the challenges young people living with disabilities are facing. But stay tuned because after the break, our producers, Rebecca and Vanessa, will be exploring the adorable but weird world of baby Yoda mums. But first, we've got a song for you. This next track was actually Chantel's number one played song on her Spotify rap this year. What are we hearing next, Chance? I thought my number one played song would be a lot more embarrassing, but this one's a banger. All the way from East London, this is UK rap group NSG with their viral song this year, Ourself. Just a language warning. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. I don't know about you, Millie, but I've been seeing Baby Yoda everywhere lately. The memes are back and I'm not even mad about it. Look, I don't think I've watched Star Wars since I was like six years old, but that's all good. I get the general concept of Baby Yoda. It's fine and it's back on my feed. And the second season of The Mandalorian is actually out, and with it a research phenomenon, superfans are treating their baby Yoda dolls like literal babies. Our producers Rebecca and Vanessa dive deep on Mamalorians and why they're appearing on your feed. Check it out!
Before we begin, just a content warning that this story discusses pregnancy issues and the topic of reborn babies. Also, possible Mandalorian spoilers, so listen at your own discretion. Hello there. Do you get it? Um, right, Lo, is that supposed to be a cheesy Star Wars joke? Yeah, sorry. You can say my mind is in the galaxy far, far away. (laughs) Um, ew, anyways, have you seen the Baby Yoda memes lately? Even though I'm not a Star Wars fan myself, I've seen them all over my feed. They're absolutely crazy. Little Grogu is so cute, but some of the stuff out there is so cringy. I'll literally never forget when I first saw a Facebook post of Baby Yoda being disciplined for eating too many cheeky nuggies. Chicken nuggets? Yeah, no idea why, but a lot of women who are treating their baby Yoda like a child have said that baby Yoda's favourite food is quote-unquote cheeky nuggies. Well, we got a treat for all the Jedi and Sith Lords listening in, but sorry, it's not those yummy chicken nuggets. We're going to deep dive into the obsession of the child. The child? That sounds off. Baby Yoda, but you know what I mean. Anyways, with the recent release of the Season 2 of Mandalorian, the Baby Yoda invasion is far from over. Joining us to discuss this motherly love is pop culture enthusiast and business academic Dr. Nathalie Collins. Hey Nathalie, how are ya? Good, thanks. So there are women called Mamalorians who are basically mums or Baby Yoda. Could you explain what they're like? Sure, Um, and I don't think we should be too gender restrictive. I think that when we are using that term, we're actually meaning anyone who treats their baby Yoda as their child. Some people dress up their doll and take photos of their doll in funny situations. One of the ones that I liked was Baby Yoda at the Tiki Bar with a cocktail uh, and sunglasses on and a Hawaiian shirt. That's so cute. While some Mamalorians have showcased online that they've taken their groggle to skeleton surgery or have displayed other funny mother-like actions with Baby Yoda, what are your general thoughts on this kind of behavior? The first thing is, is that they feel a real attachment to the film. When they were watching The Mandalorian, they really just felt so enamored and enchanted by this character. And so when they bought the plushie and they wanted to bring it into their lives, uh, they wanted to continue that journey with them in a very personal way. Whilst many Star Wars fans are happy with the creation of Baby Yoda, was this ultimately all in Disney's plan to get us fixated? Okay, so what happens is when Disney's putting something together, is they think about the experience beyond the film. One of the key things that the filmmakers look at is they look at the merchandising opportunities. They were going to make this character not only incredibly appealing and enchanting and delightful, but they were also going to make a lot of money out of it. This was part of how the Mandalorian series was going to have its longevity. Right, so it's definitely a clever branding move on their part. So, I guess, whilst a lot of us are still laughing at this Mamalorian behaviour, are these interactions with Baby Yoda normal? What I could tell you is is that the behaviour is common enough that I don't necessarily think it's an aberration unless it's in some extreme case. And I don't necessarily think it's because they want children. I don't even necessarily think it's because they um, have an issue around attachment. I think one of the things that people are trying to express is the depth of their feeling and engagement with the brand. The thing that's a little weird is that it's an inanimate object and that it's a made up world. But you know, that's not unusual either because people have been interacting with stories like that for a very, very long time. That makes sense. Thanks so much for discussing this topic with us, Nathalie. 
Nathalie's comment on how people probably don't want kids kind of reminds me of the whole baby fever fiasco. That happens every time when someone posts a cute baby on social media. Even though I've never been through that phase myself, I can see why some people are treating baby Yodas like actual children. For sure. And with the world's adoration for something so cute, Deb, who is the deputy director of Star Walking and the social club manager for Skyforce, is here to talk about how this little green guy became a pop culture icon. Deb, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. So, we'd love to know, what are your thoughts on The Mandalorian so far, as well as the character of Baby Yoda? The Mandalorian is a, a really cleverly put-together show. You've got every time you put out a new trilogy was a new group of fans. And each group of fans, in my opinion, seem to prefer whichever movies they started out with. But with The Mandalorian, we don't find that so much. It seems to be that it takes into aspects of all of those trilogies and characters that we see from all of the, the original, the prequels and the sequels, and puts it together in little presentations which have full of action, they're full of characters, and then, to add on top of that, it introduces us to Baby Yoda. Absolutely. And are you totally obsessed with Baby Yoda? I do have an animatronic Baby Yoda. I do have a plush one. He's all over my Christmas tree. He's on my Pandora bracelet. I think perhaps maybe I'm a little obsessed. He's just perfect. Some women are so obsessed with Grogu that they are literally treating their figurines like babies. Do you know why women are doing this or as they call themselves, Mamalorians? I I was unaware that this was something that was happening. I understand that if you had had a loss in your life, it would fill your heart with a little bit of joy and maybe fill that gap that you might be feeling in your life. And I could see how Baby Yoda would do that. Do you see Baby Yoda being a massive part of pop culture history? I do believe that. The memory of Baby Yoda is so important. It's almost taken over the whole show. It will be around for a long time. Thank you heaps, Dub. You're welcome. Regardless of whether you're a Star Wars fan or not, it looks like Baby Yoda is here to stay. I guess you could say we're going to be forced to see Grogu on our social media feeds for a while. Cringe or not. This has been Vanessa and Beck signing out. That was our producers, Rebecca and Vanessa, exploring how Baby Yoda has invaded the world with its cuteness. And that's all we have for on the show today. Uh, A massive thank you to our guest, Robin Eames. This episode of Backchat was brought to you by our producers, Nikki Ilyagoyeva, Rebecca Manibog and Vanessa Liam. We're going to catch you next Saturday at 9.30am. But before we go, we've got one last song up our sleeves. So I actually have a confession, Chantel. Oh, no. I don't have Spotify. Oh, you're the only person that I said know, this. I know, it's terrible. But when Apple Music releases their equivalent of Wrapped, I'm actually convinced that this is going to be number one song of the year for me. From the 2004 album M-Food, M-Food even, this is MF Doom's Hoe Cakes. Language warning! <laughs>